Hey everybody, um, just a quick preamble before we get into the second episode that is covering our research on Farsight. I just wanted to quickly say that I started off this process being extremely critical of Commander Farsight. Uh, he was not my favorite. Uh, perhaps this is a knee-jerk reaction to the kind of cult of popularity that he has, both both in the universe and without in the real world. Uh, but after after extensive study, I have to say that the version of Farsight that I am really on board with is this broken individual that was kind of uh, thrust into a position of authority that he, he might not have ever been prepared for and did the best that he could and then went on to basically create his own society which is which has become a kind of shield to the society that he left. Uh, the the enclaves very much defend the Commonwealth, and uh, that's a that's a direct result of the decisions that Farsight made. Uh, Farsight also relinquished his authority and his governorship of the enclaves and went out into the greater. 40k universe. You can read about this in the novel Fire and Ice, and it is just incredible the implications that there is an immortal Tao kind of trying to figure out chaos, trying to figure out what the Imperium is, figure out where his place in the universe is and where his people's place in the universe is. And I always find myself going back to some of his initial quotes, which outline this idea that the Tau of the Hinterlands, his, his brethren in the Seps, if they had seen what the galaxy was really about, then they would know that it's, it's time to become a little bit more exclusive, to stop extending this hand of peace to, to every race that comes along. Now, he said that back in the 700s of, I believe, Millennium 40, and, excuse me, Millennium 41, and when he said that, that was before the Ethereals determined that the or uh, that the Space Marines, for example, were not compatible with the Greater Good, and the Tyranids were not compatible with the Greater Good. Uh, and so it seems like the 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 Seps are kind of becoming a little bit wiser to 40k um, and the dangers therein. They're catching up to Farsight, and and so. So I like that version of Farsight. Anyway, let's jump in. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and there will be an additional episode afterward uh, that just covers the debate that occurred a few days after this. So please enjoy, and let's begin. All right, a little bit more of a lecture today, just because uh, we are recording this on a weekday. Um, I'm here with Black Comet. We will be using this Tau Talk today to set up for a full debate this coming Saturday where we'll tackle some people's opinions of Farsight. Uh, he's a very kind of uh, divisive character um, and it's, uh, it's definitely going to be more so after we get through some of the stuff I found. So let's, let's kind of just do a quick recap. Last week, well I'll say the last episode, we left Farsight in a prolonged engagement uh, somewhere in the Damocles Gulf region 
where the Tau had previously settled. They, they list five worlds, and we have names for those, which is Kleist, Garrus, Vespertim, and Matinsong. With the fifth being Illuminous. These will eventually turn into the Farsight Enclave worlds, um, although it is a little bit, uh, it, it's a little bit confusing. They, these could have also been um, just human worlds that, that are now within the Enclave's sphere of influence. There are going to be a couple things that kind of bump into each other. So again, to recap, Farsight and the largest reclamation fleet ever launched in the Tau history up to this point is currently uh, engaging with planetary defense forces that have been left behind by the Imperials who are moving to reinforce the Southern Ultima seg uh, Segmentum where the Tyranids are crashing through. Um, I believe it's be uh, be Behemoth. So while this is going pretty well, and I I've, I've mentioned this before, I don't find Farsight to be a particularly good leader when it comes to a macro sense. On, a, on, a, on, on the frontline commander, there is no equal. He is brilliant, and his, uh, his use of, of his forces and, his, and, and the actual uh, method in which he engages the enemy is, is second to none. I'm never going to take that away from him. But when it comes to him being a chasseau, which is supposed to be a commander that understands the the entirety of of a conflict or a, a war zone, Farsight seems to just continually fall short. And in the Farsight Codex, it says that about this time, just before he begins to engage the orcs in the Vorak asteroid clusters, he has lost about half of his ships, and it's over a 12-year period in which he's in, engaging these human worlds. So despite the fact that the that the Imperials have pulled back their most uh, their most elite troops, let's let's say maybe there are a couple Imperial Guard regiments. I there there that's me uh, hypothesizing because it specifically says it's planetary defense forces, but definitely Space Marines um, have been pulled back to fight the Tyranids, uh, as well as likely to shore up some of the Imperial uh, borders to uh, to worlds like Carduniash. Uh, the the segmentum capital. You have you have Farsight fighting a a a limited imperial presence in the area. A thing that that kind of makes me a little bit confused about this as well is is that this must also be in violation of the Dalith ceasefire. Now we know that uh, the, the 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 key member of the Watercast that negotiated those uh, that treaty with the Damocles Crusade several years earlier, uh, Poro Kais, uh, Poro Viorla Kais, is also with Farsight. Um, and, and the, uh, the Poro is, is, is a particularly, is a celebrity uh, amongst his cast and, and, and his sept. So it's interesting that he is actually with Farsight in, in kind of violation of that treaty already. Although perhaps one could say, or one could hypothesize, that part of the ceasefire treaty was that the worlds taken by the Imperium during the Damocles Gulf Crusade are to be given back, and perhaps Farsight is just 
the instrument of which the Commonwealth is going to return these worlds. So, well, frankly, we don't know. What we do know is that he engages with these planets, he is putting down the planetary defense forces, and he's lost about half of his fleet at this point. And, again, that, that doesn't, that's, it's not good to lose half of what you've got, especially with what Farsight does next, which is he engages with orc piratical forces in the Vorak asteroids. Now, we know that Farsight has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder in every iteration uh, that we have of him. He viewed Arkunasha as a slight on his, let's say, on his career or maybe his honor. Uh, where he wanted to exterminate the orcs, the Shasar uh, Toll of Viorla, as uh, perhaps by direction uh, of the ethereal of the ethereal cast, instead ordered the evacuation, and this didn't sit. It, it never sat well with Farsight, especially when he found out years later that the his his uh, let's call it his. Uh, military actions on Arkunasha were, were viewed as almost like a holding action in which that he would be allowed to, uh, the, the Tau would then be allowed to build up a sizable uh, reclamation force and attack and exterminate the orcs there, of which he was not put in charge of. So that being said, when he detects orcs in the Vorak cluster, uh, asteroid belts, excuse me, he he immediately engages with them and and uh, successfully purges the region. However, and anybody that likes orcs knows this, uh, if you don't completely wipe them out, they will uh, run away and no, uh, typically run into other orcs and say that there's, there's a good fight to be had, which is exactly what happens when Grog Iron Teeth uh, realizes that, they're, that, that the Tau have have left the confines of the stellar cluster again, and that this is a perfect opportunity to uh, get stuck in. Now, there are, depending on, depending on the, the sources that you look at, uh, Grog is referred to as the arch arsonist of Caradon, but also the warlord of Alsanta. Now, in old rulebooks, Caradon uh, or Cheridon and Alsanta are two distinct different orc kingdoms, so it's not clear if Grog is perhaps the warlord uh, of both, but, or, or, or it's, a, it's a typo and, and it's interchangeable. Um, who knows? Uh, the, unreliable, uh, the unreliable narrator is uh, Warhammer 40k's strongest suit. So, so Grog finds out about Farsight, and he engages, and this conflict starts to kind of spiral out of control because the more Farsight engages with Grog, the more orcs are attracted to the region. And this spells all kinds of trouble for, for the Tau Empire because what it effectively does is that it initiates uh, in 815 Millennium 41 the War of Dhaka. Now, prior to the War of Dhaka, Farsight had, uh, for about, let's see, about 40 years been engaging. And again, it's very unusual because the, the, the timeline is a little bit all over the place. But again, we can, always just, uh, we, can, we can always just rely on the fact that reporting is from an imperial perspective. So 
but but Farsight has effectively been fighting Grog and his orcs for for several decades before the War of Daka happened. So the Vorak uh, asteroid clusters probably uh, take a really long time uh, to kind of fully fully ignite uh, the war with with a full on wah. Um, the oh, and uh, the basically this what this does though is is that Grog, who I wish that there was more about him, but Grog is apparently uh, kind of a genius when it comes to to orcs, or perhaps uh, most orc warlords are geniuses, and we just kind of write them off uh, because they don't you know they don't they don't stand against a, a comparison of like Gazgul or something like that, but Grog basically plays Farsight in a version of uh, Kaon, which I find super interesting. I don't know if Grog uh, has, has has had uh, a long time dealing with the Tau. Perhaps he learned it from. We know that the orcs adapt really well to different tactics. Um, they're, they're, they're always much more cunning than, than we initially give credit for. We do know that Grog's orcs, uh, the same, the same uh, let's call it from the same kingdom, were engaged with the Kroot for a really long time, that they are of the same ilk. So, so what Grog does is that he he basically does this giant fake-out where he launches a, a massive attack against the Empire. And again, I said that this is going to be a little bit confusing. Farsight actually... So, so Farsight at this point has the, the enclaves. They, they've been exist in, in existence for... Uh, a couple decades, he still has his ethereals present, and and the Empire has very loose contact with them. Um, this is probably due to the extreme distances between um, this region of the, this part of the Gulf and the closest uh, port of calls, which would be uh, Dalith, Sakia, and Viorla. But but it's 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 unclear because if 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 the enclaves had existed for this amount of time then there should have been pretty strong uh, supply lines going back and forth between, uh, between the two, or certainly, uh, certainly trade routes. Um, but we don't know, don't know too much about that. In the original codex, the enclaves were immediately kind of cut off due to the extreme distances, and the Tao Empire kind of wrote them off uh, because they just never heard back from them. So, so, so take, take both versions... Uh, and try to find something in the middle uh, as to what could possibly have happened. But we know about the War of Dhaka, and the War of Dhaka is, uh, will kick off a 200-year a period in which the Tau Empire is embroiled with this war against the orcs of Grog Iron Teeth. Uh, what, so what he does is, this, this K-On that I was talking about, is that while engaging Farsight, perhaps Grog realizes that he's never going to be able to crack the Enclaves, in a traditional way, and so what he does is is that he launches this attack uh, against uh, a two pronged attack against the empire. Uh, one is is directed at Atari Vo, which I've assumed is part of the Sakia sept due to the high population. Uh, Atari Vo is 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 a is a world with with an, an extraordinary high population. It's described as billions, which which is extremely rare for the Tau. Um, usually the tower much more spread out and uh, spread over uh, tributary colonies, outposts, and so on, rather than putting 
giant population centers in the same place. But we do know that Sakia is known for that. Um, and Sakia Prime is the most populous world in the empire. So, so Grog sends, uh, sends one salient at Atarivo, and the second salient he sends at Arthas Malak. Now, I don't know why he sends it at Arthas Malak. Uh, at this point, uh, the planet is a it's a dead it's a dead world. There's there's no Tau population on it. But Grog still is still commented in the Farsight Codex as to sending his second wave at them. So uh, speculations abound. Now, now when with this first salient though that goes after Atarivo, Farsight actually returns from the enclaves after being gone for uh, conceivably generations. If you think about the lifespan of a Tau, uh, he this is before he had his uh, his sword as well. So I imagine. Um, he likely was cryogenically frozen for several periods, uh, perhaps um, as as this uh, as this podcast has has been built on a couple episodes. Now you know that at least my opinion of the Tau is that they do have faster than light travel, um, per the original Forge World, Battlefleet Gothic, and Codexes. I don't see how an interstellar empire could not have faster than light travel, uh, but. But again, it, it's much slower than the Imperials, so perhaps perhaps that's why uh, we can we can fi- we can find kind of like a common ground here that that it would take a long time for uh, Farsight to get back. But he shows up. He shows up at Atarivo, trying to stop Grog from dropping this this giant asteroid. Um, and the the uh, orcs call these things uh, ostensibly rocks. Um, they uh, they're they're typically riddled. With uh, with orc fortresses and and uh, barracks and and you know there could be millions or more of orcs honeycombed inside of these things and uh, <laughs> being the being the orcs they ram these into planets and this giant rock smashes into Atarivo Farsight fails to stop it and almost instantly several billion Tau are killed. Um, in the capital, which he drops it on. And just as the planet is kind of recovering from this, the, the rock opens up and the, inv- the proper invasion led by Grog Irontief himself uh, steps out and uh, begins, begins the, uh, as it is said in the uh, Codex, begins the war in earnest. So, so Farsight leads his uh, his cadres to kind of hunt for Grog amongst this ruin, uh, and and again this just shows the brilliance of this orc command uh, commander, and why I think Farsight is a poor uh, leader when it comes to war uh, you know kind of macro war efforts. Grog actually leaves the planet. He he slips away. Uh, he rejoins his his fleet and actually heads back to the enclaves where he lays, lays siege to it, leaving Farsight to kind of be chasing shadows on Atari Vo. Uh, now the Tau on Atari Vo are, are kind of confused about, about Farsight as he's, as he's roaming around looking for this, this, uh, this orc warlord. And I do think it's kind of a missed opportunity to see like, like these, these Tau, um, they're probably, probably of the younger generation, 
definitely nobody's been alive to have known Farsight back when he left in the in the uh, earlier 700s. We're now we're not, we're now in the 800s, and we we don't really know how they respond to them. But I think that they're confused. Uh, this would be a little bit like uh, if if uh, an old national, you know, perhaps the, a national hero from one of your countries. I'm American, so I'll say. Imagine if Patton showed up to uh, to try to win the war in Afghanistan. You know that that would be the equivalent of of kind of what I think uh, happened here. And and so and so there is no there, there's no dialogue mentioned. There's no communication. Farsight simply once he realizes that he's been given the slip, leaves the planet and heads back to uh, to on, uh, enclavite space. Along the way. Uh, keep in mind his his ethereals are still in attendance, um, and while he heads back in 825, uh, about ten years after, b- between five and ten years after the the War of Dhaka kicks off and Atari Vo is relatively destroyed, uh, the assassination on Arth uh, of uh, on Arthas Malak happens, and chaos. Uh, it's described as chaos entities. Uh, perhaps stirred up by the orcs, engage with Farsight. And again, he is outmaneuvered by this unknown threat, um, which we do have instances where Tau have been fighting demons before this moment, but I don't think to the degree in which uh, we witnessed then on Arthas uh, Malak. You have bloodthirsters as well as bloodletters in, in higher than normal numbers, Again, we don't really know why the planet is regarded as being cursed. It has a long history going back to the earlier Imperium where the scythes of the Emperor purged the planet. But there is also evidence of an alien civilization that was there. So, so again, we don't know very much about why there would be such a large demonic army there. But when they wake up, they they wipe out the orcs and move on into the Tau. And while they're while this uh, uh, battle is happening, all three of Farsight's ethereals are murdered, uh, assassinated. One year later, he he returns to uh, Enclavite space proper, and now keep in mind uh, the Encla- uh, the, en- the enclaves have been under siege now by uh, Grog directly, so they're in pretty dire straits. We, if we match this up with the orc codex, we know that there are larger and larger uh, populations of orcs migrating to the region. Uh, they really enjoy they really enjoy fighting Farsight. He's a, he's a hoot. Um, on the on the Tau side, the enclaves have now existed for another generation almost of 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 existing without direct leadership from Oshava. So I, I also find that really interesting that. What ends up happening is is that you have uh, firecast leaders taking over the management and governance of at the at, uh, let's say five worlds at this point, uh, perhaps more. This is this is not how Tau society is supposed to be. And in the first Codex, we have this great moment where a watercast uh, envoy uh, or I guess merchant. Is is discussing things with a rogue trader, and when the rogue trader talks about the Farsight enclaves, and this would be this would be uh, at around the same time, 
the the water cast tradesman uh, is is kind of is is kind of put off is is perturbed by the notion of what it would be like if if the fire cast was in control all of the time because the fire cast very much wants to be in battle all the time. They are a warrior race, um, or I guess a, a warrior subfaction or subspecies, depending on you know how, how you want to think of the different think of the different castes. And what the ethereals really bring is equilibrium between the castes. Uh, if you know, perhaps if the if the earth cast was in charge all of the time, they would only be uh, tr you know trying out new Frankenstein ish uh, research projects and 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 kind of unbridled uh, uh, science projects, uh, which result in things like and, and we see it in uh, in the codex. Uh, result in like stars prematurely going nova because the Earth cast is tinkering with them, uh, or uh, later during during uh, several notable battles during the third sphere, uh, you know a reactor overload will cause an entire moon to blow up. Like the Earth cast uh, are 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 kind of are, you know need to have upper management in order to do their best, but then so do the fire cast, and so does the water cast and the air cast. Uh, the the ethereals really really are required in order to make sure that the balance is always kept. And now, in the Enclaves, now that they've lost their ethereals, the fire cast really takes direct control over what's going on. And that makes sense. I don't, I don't think that this is like a power grab or a, or a coup. Um, the Enclaves are currently under siege. Uh, there are, there, there's a massive wah uh, coming in and smashing their defenses. They, they are occupied uh, on on every planet uh, that that is in their uh, in their region, and and so it makes sense that the firecast would try to uh, protect the the civilian part of their population as well as I mean there are also auxiliaries here. So, but what that means is is that the firecast is always going to be at war. Then they're never going to try to come up with an alternative to what's going on. If Kelshen is any indication of what the of what the uh, fire cast is like, when the Ethereals ordered the Kelshani to withdraw from the Tyranids, several uh, several notable commanders decided to stay and die in the hopes of trying to knock out the Synapse creatures. So, so again, you don't you kind of don't want these guys to be running society uh, because their conclusion. I mean, they're kind of hammers and the and 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 everything in their world is 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 all the problems in their world are nails. They they only know how to smash things, uh, which I find really really fascinating. But in eight twenty five millennium forty one, excuse me eight twenty six, uh, Farsight comes comes back. Now he's been he's been petitioning from for help from the empire for um, I mean over fifty years at this point, and help has never come. Now we don't know why that is. Uh, it could have been something very similar to Arthas Malak, or, or excuse me, not Arthas Malak, uh, Ar uh, Arkunasha, where 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 Farsight is using up his bot, his his population, um, his resources, his his military assets at such a fast degree that the Ethereals, and in fact maybe even some of the Shasar Tol or the other castes are kind of like we've already given you you know as much as we can we can we can give you. Um, so I like to think of it as that after, after losing half of his forces 
in the in the retaking of these five planets, um, I think that I think that the empire kind of was spent. Remember, remember the 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 Tau Commonwealth um, or or Tau Empire is not like the Imperium. It doesn't have a limitless supply of of resources to draw on, especially uh, just sheer population. The Tau do not have uh, bil untold billions to call on. They they are an extremely regulated society. And everybody in their society has enough food, air, water uh, to to survive, unlike in the Imperium and most of the other uh, great societies of the galaxy. Uh, and that requires a lot of uh, internal management. For Farsight to be asking for more resources after being given the largest reclamation fleet in history, I find it I find that to be uh, guilty of hubris. You know that he he would require more, especially to persecute uh, a war against the orcs, which did not need to be fought. Um, he fought, he, he, he attacked them out of, uh, out of perhaps a, almost, almost a, a, a mid or even a high level of PTSD to, to kind of relive that conflict of Arkunasha and win that, win, win the war that he, uh, he was denied. So, so at this point in 826, he, he cuts off the uh, the, uh, the, uh, the the enclaves from the greater commonwealth. Simultaneously, I would imagine at this point, the whole of the enclaves would be reacting to the loss of their ethereal caste. And we know from earlier editions and earlier codexes that when the Tau lose the ethereals, because of the cultural relevance that ethereals have as uh, kind of the the embodiment of what the greater good is uh the the tau are become traumatized um a, an excellent example of this is in the forge world book uh for uh the taros campaign um when the ethereal is assassinated at first all of the fire cast kind of pull back away from all of these active conflict zones and 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 kind of either are perhaps they're mourning um, or they are, or or they're recovering, um, and what they and what they do after is that they they advance on the imperial lines, and they no longer offer quarter. They don't offer uh, typically the tower very much like a modern military, and that they 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 give they give their enemies a chance to uh, to to give up their arms or 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 to parlay. Um, the fire warriors of Taros don't do that, and that's where you know war crimes start. What what we would call war crimes start being committed, which is which is pretty normal for 40k. Most people don't take prisoners in uh, in the 41st millennium. So so when when he when he cuts uh, the tie to the Commonwealth, I would imagine that he's also experiencing. Uh, along with the rest of his society, a level of shock, uh, which which probably irrevocably changes these Tau uh, from a cultural level. I think that they, I think that they they decide to dig in, especially the Firecast, and decide to persecute this war against the Orcs. Um, and it's and it's perhaps most interesting at this point that. In about about ten years into this conflict, no, we're in we're in about uh, eight thirty two, eight eight thirty four. 
the Farsight actually, perhaps, perhaps the trauma of uh, losing the Ethereals, uh, or or the combined belief that he he's alone um, in the universe, uh, which is very unusual for a Tao to feel. Typically, Tao are indoctrinated, or at least you know their culture uh, stresses the notion that you are never alone. There there are always there there's always going to be somebody to to be you know to 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 carry the mantle even after you you pass um there's a great there's a great uh uh article uh in fantasy flight that describes uh individual tau don't don't have like the the anxiety that humanity uh usually has which is like we're always striving to be individualistic and accomplishing uh goals that we probably never will it's one of the it's it's almost like a racial trait the tau are all about passing the torch on so so even a, a, a you know a, let's let's say a, a and I think this example has been given a lot uh, the earth cast laborers or janitorial staff even they like relish in their part in their great in the in the greater good Farsight from almost the first page of his own codex which is you know the the, the most uh, the most up to date uh, canonical article about him uh, because the codexes are are what. 40k seems to consider canon uh, black library books are interpretive farsight is in in the first almost the first sentence is said to have known to have had an independent streak which which is unusual and that independence follows him throughout his life he's he's always under the he's he's always believing that he knows best and uh, and he's very human perhaps that's perhaps that's why so many uh, people love farsight is uh, he is he is very human in his uh, in his ideals and how he gets the job done. Um, when he when he cuts the tie, uh, he also goes um, he goes into kind of a self imposed exile, and this is something that I I don't think that a lot of people realize. Farsight basically gives up uh, being in charge of the enclaves. Uh, a a fire cast council. Uh, takes over uh, of his of his closest commanders, and in Peter Fehavari's book Fire and Ice, we actually get a chance to follow Farsight as he is on this kind of uh, again he's in this self-imposed exile and he he's traveling uh, he's traveling the stars. It's again very unusual for a Tao to do this. That we have a couple examples and and this podcast. Will one day expand on the the several Tau that that operate beyond uh, the confines of both the enclaves and the Commonwealth, but we have this book that talks about Farsight traveling on what we what he calls his Vashya Toll, um, which means the long walk between spheres, and what he's doing is he's kind of he's. He's kind of on this a little bit of a, a, a quest of self-realization, um, you know. To the to the authors out there, I think he's he's on the hero's journey, and he is trying. It seems to figure out what chaos is. Um, the book never uh, expressly says this, but um, without without giving too much away, I, I, I recommend everybody uh, reading it. Uh, Farsight is either in in either working with or is has been taken kind of a pseudo captive by a space marine called uh, the Cavalleri, 
and uh, the Cavallari who refers to himself in a Tao name as Sin Eater uh, or, or Ihonin, um, which, which is, again, very unusual that we have a, a space marine who doesn't seem to have it. He doesn't have any chapter markings. Perhaps he's a fallen, you know, perhaps we'll never know. Uh, but he, he, he is working either with Farsight or, or has kind of taken, uh, has either made Farsight his companion. It's very, you know what, read the book. It's, it's very, uh, unclear on purpose, the relationship between these two, but Farsight is given over to an inquisitor who then interrogates him and tries to learn more about him. And in his own words, Farsight describes this enormous uh, guilt um, at kind of the things that he's done, but then in the same in the same tone and or in the same sentence, he is angry at both his people and the ethereals because of the opportunities and the glory that were denied him. Um, he even there's even this great moment where he reveals that he loved the war on Arkunasha. Uh, and that the orcs were were like a, a perfect enemy that they were they were a foil to so many of his his own philosophies on war which he calls the shasva or the path of fire um so so he he's on this and and, and then we have and then we have a couple different uh timeline moments where where we we, we have uh, kind of the uh the implications that farsight is going even further afield um, there, there, uh, there are even some examples such as in the Medusa five campaign, uh, a couple, you know, about a decade or over a decade ago, uh, where there are humans who admire Farsight and, and, uh, and we see this a little bit in even some of Phil Kelly's book where, where, uh, he, he impresses, uh, an inquisitor. So Farsight is this really fascinating person, but again, to my conclusions, he is, not a very good person to have in charge because he spends his resources too fast. Um, he cares too much about his people in that he will lead from the front and put himself in danger constantly. And his enemies, such as Grog, an orc, recognize these weaknesses and, and use it against him to accomplish those macro-level stratagems. Uh, Farsight is a warrior. He is, I don't think he's a very good general. So, so we're entering into this final century before, um, before what we'll call the modern age of 40K, which is at the end of Millennium 41. And Farsight, who now has the Dawnblade, which he picked up on Arthas Malak, this, uh, we, again, we don't know very much about it. It, it clearly belonged to this uh, proto-civilization that was on the planet. It's, uh, it's said to have been made from chronophagic alloy, which draws the life out of the uh, people that Farsight kills with it. Um, very vampiric. Uh, there, there are theories as to what that blade is. I, I, tend to, I tend to think it doesn't really matter what the origins of the blade are, because we probably are just never going to know. Um, but Farsight has now, even, even before, that, before he picked up that blade, he'd been living for an extremely long time for a Tau, um, either through a combination of cryogenic stasis, or perhaps that he is in fact also an outlier, which is which is this thing that that only appeared in uh, in a single article, um, very in, in, in during the second 
Tau Codex in that some Tau unexplic- uh, unexplicably just live longer uh, than their their more short uh, the, what what is considered normal for a Tau lifespan, which is between um, fifty and seventy years. Uh, uh, some, some sources say uh, even forty years is, is considered uh, is considered a, an old age for a Tau. Um, but but if again if you just look at the if you look at the timeline, uh, Farsight is close to uh, his his late eighties nineties uh, when uh, when he finally picks up the Dawnblade. But the Dawnblade extends his life indefinitely, and he effectively uh, is now immortal. And as he is traveling through. Uh, as he's traveling through the the let's let's say the eastern fringe because we don't know how far he got, um, eventually uh, the war that the enclaves are entrenched within uh, comes to uh, a high enough pitch that he returns, and and having learned perhaps the secrets of the galaxy or or, or the meaning of meaning of life or maybe even just the meaning of his own life. He returns, and all of that angst that I've been talking about, and all of that uh, that that chip on his shoulder, seems to have finally been filled. And he leads the enclaves to victory. He uh, he drives the orcs out by using a, a kind of an unusual method of of implementing a lot of uh, uh, elemental weapons, uh, such as the seismic defibrillator. Uh, or destabilizer, I think defibrillator, wrong word, uh, which uh, which creates like tsunamis on one world, uh, while he utilizes uh, you know, dropping fusion warheads into volcanoes. Uh, he goes he goes all out, um, but he seems to have a, a method. He, he seems to have found the method to the madness of fighting Grog, and he secures the enclaves finally after uh, you know after over a century of conflict, um, and that's. And that's re- for me that that is what makes Farsight such an interesting character, in that he's not a good leader, but that he becomes one after after centuries of of conflict. Uh, he finally realizes what he's supposed to be uh, doing, and and uh, what he does immediately after this almost. Uh, Almost to the year when uh, Shadow Sun is reawoken, uh, the War of Confederacy uh, finally in in the Empire defeats the the Orc threat. There, uh, Farsight uh, begins operating in a way to shield the Commonwealth from the threats that are that are out there. Uh, he begins to engage with Tyranid uh, t- uh, splinter fleets left over from. Uh, everything from uh, Behemoth to uh, to Gorgon. Um, he he engages actively in uh, missions against the Space Marines. Uh, as of as of the most recent dates in nine nine nine, uh, we have him in active combat against a, a Space Marine chapter called the Crimson Consuls, uh, who um, in their own recounting say that they have directly uh, they have directly engaged with. Uh, with Farsight. So he's still leading from the front and he's, he's attacking targets that might, might directly affect the, uh, the Commonwealth. There is no indication that he has given up on the greater good. I know some YouTube videos, uh, as well as some other podcasts state that he turned his back on the greater good. I think that's very much from the, 
the Commonwealth's perspective. I think that Farsight, if anything, has finally figured out what the greater good is and how he can accomplish serving it in the best way. And if you look at the campaign book Montka, where Shadow Sun and Anva uh, engage in, uh, basically declare war on the Imperium uh, and attack the, the hive world of Agrelin, um, Farsight shows up, uh, very much like how he did with Atari Vo. But this time, he does so uh, bringing uh, an extremely elite force of uh, firecast uh, warriors, which, which do, um, do secure this planet and do something that has never, that, that very rarely gets done in Warhammer 40,000. And, and we'll, we'll dedicate an episode to it. Uh, but, but through the combined efforts of Shadow Sun and Farsight, uh, they managed to take a hive planet. Uh, to give you an example of what another hive planet would be like, it's like Armageddon. Armageddon is the focal point for the largest WA. Uh, since Millennium 35, and uh, led by Gazkull, and that planet still hasn't been taken. Um, the Tau do manage to do it through a combination of methods uh, that that are quite frankly brilliant. And I, 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 as always, I do wish that the Tau got a little bit more credit uh, where credit is due. But Farsight seems to, after all of this, uh, after this journey, uh, Farsight. Uh, seems to now be proactively trying to protect uh, his people, regardless of if it's the enclaves or the Commonwealth. Also, you know, again, some people call it the Empire. It, it should be called the Empire, I guess. I prefer Commonwealth. Uh, but but he is doing everything he can to be a shield, and I think that Shadow Sun has likely recognized that, especially when we have you know for for all the people that think that. Uh, the Tau want to hunt, hunt down Farsight and bring him to justice, and all of the, and, and you know we think of it very much in human terms. I think it's an important thing to do to step back and remember these. This is an alien race. Uh, there is canonical uh, uh, foundations that the Tau do not kill one another. They don't. They don't understand the why would you, you know why would you kill another Tau? Uh, that that just seems to invite the. The Manta, you know, that period of time in the Dark Ages when Tau were, were, were on the verge of extinction because of, of uh, this internecine war. Um, the Tau re regard each other in a way that human beings don't seem to be able to, especially in Warhammer 40,000. Um, I think that the Ethereals want to bring, you know, and we know about the Mekla uh, ritual with the censorship. A lot of people think that that's, uh, that's execution. We know it's not. Uh, they, I think that the Ethereals want Farsight to be to be to be roped back in and brought brought home, where he will be forced to uh, see all the damage that he's caused, uh, and 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 to to be a lesson for the rest of the Firecast that, like, look, this is this is what happens when you know you people are are completely unrestrained. You know, Farsight committed exterminatus at the at the at the initial taking of uh, what would later become the enclaves. Like the Tau, do not advocate the use of exterminatus weapons, despite the fact that they have them. Um, Farsight lost half of his reclamation force, the largest fleet in 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 Tau history up to that point. Um, he he 
through his actions, billions died on Atari Vo. Uh, even even amongst his own enclaves, he left uh, out of perhaps a sense of shame or whatever. But you know, when you're the leader, you can't ever put down the sword. You can't put down the banner. You have to keep going. And Farsight, time and again, has has been guilty of of this independent streak that he has, uh, for better or worse. I think that the Ethereals look at all of that and they want, that's the justice that they want to bring him to. But Shadow Sun never fires a shot at Farsight. And even Anva, who is as, as close to touching uh, Farsight as anybody, uh, Anva never orders his execution. There's, there's no indications that any of that uh, can happen. In fact, even in some uh, depictions of the Ethereals who, who they can order a Tau to kill themselves if they wanted to, well, if, if that were the case, if, if an Ethereal would do that, why wouldn't Anva just have done it to Farsight and solve the problem right there? Um, so that's why I'm very dubious and critical of people that uh, have the theory that, that Farsight is just waiting to be arrested or, uh, or that or that Shadow Sun is going to hunt him down or something like that. I think that I think that what the Tau would do is that they would capture a guy like this and then put him on trial um, in the hopes of rehabilitating his followers um, and, and to have justice for the greater society. I don't think that they would execute him. But Farsight probably doesn't want that. And Farsight, for, uh, in the eyes of his own people, is, is a hero. Um, I think to some generations, though, of his even, even Enclavites themselves, I think that Farsight is also a divisive character. I don't think that everybody in the enclaves, in the Farsight enclaves, uh, thinks that that Farsight is the best, or or even uh, or even think of him as a hero. Uh, I think that he's let generations of his of 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 the Enclavites uh, 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 die. I think that they've been in one war after another. Uh, Per the, the most recent uh, timeline entries, there uh, there was a Tyranid uh, Splinter Fleet that that uh, almost uh, almost consumed the Enclaves, and now of course they're they're in a in a rolling battle against uh, various Space Marine factions, and Space Marines are some of the most terrifying people to be in a prolonged war with. You know, um, I think that I think that Farsight still has a long way to go. But he's immortal, so you know we're in it for the long haul, and and I think that that's that's why I like him so much because he's he he has so many different facets, and I do want to know more about his his long journey out into the galaxy where apparently he was educating himself on on the reality of Warhammer Forty Thousand. I mean, I think Farsight is a perfect example of what the Empire is in danger of becoming. Uh, or what individual Tau are in danger of becoming as they are exposed to the 41st millennium, um, and and I think that I think that that makes Farsight an excellent foil. Um, so that's 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 kind of where we we uh, we we bring uh, this episode to to an end, and uh, we'll have a lot of open discussion, which I will actually attach to this episode right after I stop recording. Um, but thank you so much uh, for listening, and uh, I'm I'm very excited to hear what some of the other uh, enthusiasts that are part of this group have to say about Farsight.